being away for two or three weeks, which has been marvellous. And, uh, you know, we feel very honoured and privileged to be able to do that. But uh, even if you get a, a weekend away, you know, go and visit a friend in another public country, going somewhere else and a different environment often gives you a new perspective on life. And, and you see things about your life back here or back home or wherever that is uh, in a new light. And some of it you appreciate and other things you think, I'd like to make a change with that. It, it, you get a new sort of perspective. And, and that, that, that whole thing, of course, was going on with Fliss and myself when we were away. And, and it challenged me, and I started thinking and praying, and, 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 and just decided that today I would like to speak on a, a little message called Seeing is Believing. And, you know, one is, is often, uh, you, you hear that, you know, I'll believe it when I see it, or, you know, what have you, seeing is believing. And I, I was thinking about that. And in fact, interestingly enough, I went to a church last Sunday. It was a Calvary Chapel church in a, in a town called San Luis Obispo. First and I were there. And the minister there, who we sort of know, taught a message out of Mark 8, and, and I, it set me thinking, as often it, it does, you know, you, think, you hear the message and that's good, but it also sets you thinking and it sort of informed my study, and so something came out of it, and this week on Thursday I was working on the message, and this morning too, and I thought, yeah, I, I want to bring this, I, th I think there's a challenge for me here, but there's a challenge for all of us here. So let's just read this passage, and then I'll, I'll get into this little message, seeing is believing. So, uh, Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 22. It'll come up on the screen. Um, I hope that my version is as close as possible to the one on the screen, but we'll see. Anyway, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. This story uh, in the center, slap bang in the center of Mark's gospel, is an interesting one. Mark is one of my favorite gospels. I love them all. It's my favorite set of memoirs. It's the shortest of the stories of Jesus, written by, as many have said, and I've said many a time, written, we believe, by John Mark, the assistant of the apostle Peter, the first, you know, Peter as in the story, and uh, they believe it was dictated to Mark by Peter. It's a very early document, and one of the things about it is it's rough, it's ready, it's raw. It's not being tampered with, it's not being mucked about. There's, there's curious things in there. For example, in this story, one of the curious things is we, we see Jesus apparently struggling over a healing. Well, that's encouraging, because if you're part of the ministry team here, and over 100 people are part of our ministry team, but also we train all of our people who, who decide they want to be part of Vineyard. It's part of our, our normal everyday stuff. We train people to pray for the sick. And anyone who has prayed for the sick 
will rejoice over those extraordinary events where you lay hands on someone, you invite the Holy Spirit, and after a few moments of quiet prayer, suddenly the person turns to you and says, why, that's remarkable, the pain's gone, I think God's healed me. We all rejoice over that, but it's not always that simple. Sometimes, you know, you have to pray several times and it takes 40 minutes. Why it doesn't happen in a minute, I do not know. It takes time. Other times, you, at the end of the 40 minutes, you have to say, look, thank you for letting me pray for you, but I, I, I think we've probably got as far as we can go today. Please get prayer again. And, and you go away thinking, why didn't God heal that one? I mean, I prayed for somebody with the same condition last week and they got healed. But this person. So there's lots of questions. So it's somewhat reassuring to know that Jesus himself in this situation where he has this blind man, takes him to one side and, and prays for him and uh, puts spit on the man's eyes, which seems slightly unsavory to me. I hope we don't adopt that one too quickly in the ministry team, but you never know. But, uh, but then asked the man, you know, what do you see? And uh, probably the man said, well, I see a load of spittle at the moment, actually. But, uh, but, uh, but then Jesus prays again and the man sees clearly. And, and it's a unique story in all of the scriptures. It's unique, this kind of two-stage healing thing. And there's something going on here. And Mark, who is you know, plain and simple, good old uncomplicated Mark, is actually trying to say something here. There is a subplot. There's the plain story, as is, bloke gets healed, glory, hallelujah. And then there's a parallel story. And in the parallel stories, we'll see in a moment, God, he's, he's trying to talk about spiritual revelation. He's trying to talk about our eyes opening to see who Jesus is and how it's a progressive thing and it takes time. But anyway, let's, let's look at the story. We'll, we will go through it and then we'll, uh, hopefully things will come a little bit clearer. So the plain story. First thing we notice about this, which is interesting, you know, Jesus is in the village, friends, family, neighbors, bring out this bloke, say, Jesus, please heal this guy. And Jesus takes him to one side. You know, uh, one of the things you'll notice about our healing ministry here is that although we cannot hide it because it's so large and so much happens, we can't sort of do it all behind closed doors somewhere. In fact, on a Sunday morning, as you know, all the, the, the healing prayer goes on over here. And, uh, but, but what you will notice is that we have, one of our values is the, the, the dignity of the individual. For example, we are playing around with video, uh, videoing, our, videoing our services, and we're working on that, and that's exciting. But what you will not see is, is a camera team with a great big camera sort of on the shoulder, s- stepping over bodies over here, poking lenses in people's noses, and trying to watch and observe as a demon is cast out. You're not, you know, that's not our style. You know, each individual is a son or daughter of God. They are precious. We don't, they're not a, a spectacle a freak show. So we don't do that kind of thing. And, and, and what I love about this is that, you know, there's the, all the village there, but, but Jesus, you know, he takes this, this man to one side. Uh, and there's something tender about that. And often you see that in Jesus' ministry. Even the most unlikely, most unsavory people, you know, he's very real with them and he treats them with respect. I love that. He takes them to one side. Then he prays for the man, and as I say, he has to do, go through it twice. And he asks them, you know, he says, you know, uh, what do you see? And he says, I see men walking around as trees. You know, you can imagine somebody who's never seen before, but they felt, you know, their environment has been 
defined by what they can feel, and he's felt the trunk of a tree, and now he can see he's blinking, and he's getting the, a dim image of, of, of people, and he says, they're, they're like, yeah, they, they look sort of like, I don't know, walking trees or something, and then Jesus prays again, and the man sees clearly. The man, the blind man, receives his sight in stages, and that's quite an important motif for what Mark is trying to say. Blind man receives sight. Jesus takes the blind man out of the village. The blind man receives his sight in stages. That's the plain story. But there's something going on, something more than that. And the clue is in the passage that follows. I'm going to read that passage again. Jesus and his disciples went out on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. You are the Christ. Now, those of you who know a little bit about your Bible will know that the Christ, that word, that title, that person, was, was absolutely dripping with important meaning in that culture, in that society. The Christ was the king of kings. The Christ was the one who was going to rescue, deliver, redeem Israel, that at this time, this point in time, was subject to, a, to the Roman Empire, was a, you know, a vassal nation. The Christ was the one whom their prophets centuries before, had said, would come to deliver Israel. The Christ was the one who was going to set, not, not just redeem Israel and put it in its rightful place, but redeem the world. So when Peter says of Jesus, you are the Christ, this is something that every single one of those disciples will have heard about since they sat on their mother's knee and were told bedtime stories, one day the Christ will come and he will redeem Israel. It was a wonderful moment of, of lucidity, of clarity. In that instant, as Peter reflected upon whom he thought Jesus was, he could do no other than say, you are the Christ. And this is, the, this is the, the theme that unpacks this, this little subplot in Mark's Gospels. It's interesting because at the very end of Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 16, as, as many of you will know, the chapters weren't added until about a thousand years later, so it wasn't written with chapters and verses in, but it's helpful for us to find our way around. But at the very end of this Gospel, you actually find the angels saying to the disciples, Jesus has gone ahead of you to Galilee, now you go on ahead to Galilee, you will find him there and you will see him just as, you, as he told you. In other words, you will see him as he really is. Not your mate, the Jewish carpenter with dirt under his fingernails, you will see him as Christ. There is this incredible sense of conclusion, victory at the end of Mark's gospel. And actually, interestingly enough, throughout Mark's gospel, as I've said many a time before, the disciples are generally shown in a rather poor light. They are you know, a bunch of duffers trying to make, make the thing work. 
But in this moment, at the very middle of this story, for a brief moment, Peter sees it clearly. You are the Christ, he says. You are the Christ. So what we have here in this second story is Jesus taking his disciples apart out of the village. He's taking them away from the lake where the crowds are, where all the ministry is going on. And they've got a little bit of quiet time as they're walking onto this village, this small town, Caesarea Philippi. So just as he took the blind man apart, he takes the disciples apart. And, and as that happens, so they receive insight. The blind man saw trees walking and then saw clearly. The disciples, they receive insight as they journey along the way. And then the other thing is that the disciples see their, they receive their insight in stages. Some say, well, he's, yeah, the, you're, you're, you're like John the Baptist, aren't you, the evangelist? And others are saying, well, uh, you're a prophet. I mean, that's clear, isn't it? You're a prophet, aren't you? And others are saying, you're a great teacher. All of it is true, but it's not the whole truth. Yes, Jesus is an evangelist. He's a teacher, he's a prophet, but the whole truth is he's the Christ. And finally, Peter gets it. If you know the story and if you want a bit of homework, read on, you'll find that almost as soon as he's got it, he drops the ball again and he gets a stiff rebuke from Jesus because he says to Jesus he won't have to go to Jerusalem and die on the cross and that's definitely not part of Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan was to die on the cross, to die for the sins of the world, your sin and mine. And I suppose that's all of our experience to some degree. We find ourselves asking who Jesus is. You know, if you've been a Christian a while, just when you think you know Jesus, he does something exciting or surprising or, 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 or discomforts you in some way, but in a healthy way, challenges you to grow. And just when you think you've got him down, you haven't got him down, there's more. One of the verses I've been praying through while I've been away is Jeremiah 33, 3. It's well known to many, and it's simply this. Call out to me, and I will show you deep and unsearchable things that you do not know. There is always more. Just when you think you've got this Christian religion church thing down, well, then you are actually at your weakest, your most vulnerable, your most, your most blind, because there is more. And really... The invitation is there to press into God. Call out to me and I will show you deep and unsearchable things that you do not know. What is God hiding? What is God holding? What is it that God has in, behind his back? Maybe with a twinkle in his eye. Yep, I've got something. Well, do you want it? How much do you want it? And it's that kind of thing. There's this progressive sense of, of revelation. The, the negative, and let me just talk about this for a moment, is that sometimes we become content with what one might term spiritual blindness. It's not a happy place to be in, and there are some root causes, and I'll mention two or three of them, but, but actually it was one of the big problems Jesus had with the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day. They had got the whole thing so sewn up, so down, so clamped down, they thought they knew everything. And in fact, if you didn't agree with them and play it your way, you, you could be ostracized in your community. They had power as well as this part knowledge. And unless you played it your way, you were, you were likely to be condemned, even, even put out of the community. 
And Jesus had many a run-in with the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day. And in the little passage prior to this one, if you were to read it, you would, you would see he speaks harshly of the Pharisees and the way they are puffed up and arrogant. No, there's, there's always more, and we need to understand that. No matter how long we've been walking with Jesus, we need to come back to Jesus and say, Lord, I, is there something I'm missing here? Is there something I'm missing? What causes spiritual blindness? Three quick things. We could spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to do three, three things. I, I hope that something here resonates with you. All three resonate with me. <laughs> First of all, ignorance. You know, uh, when somebody is ignorant, if you say to a neighbor, you're just an ignorant old man, well, then he'll probably punch you. Because ignorance is seen as a jibe, as a, an insult, but actually, ignorance is just a statement of fact. My, my 11-month-old delightful granddaughter, Tallulah, what a lovely name that is, has very little understanding, as of this moment, of quantum physics. But I have, I, I think there's a scientist in her somewhere. But at this moment, she has no understanding whatsoever of quantum physics. Now, if I was to say to her mother, my daughter, call her my, my granddaughter, she has no understanding of quantum physics at all, well, my, my, my daughter would call me an idiot because she's only 11 months. She is ignorant of this, if ever she needs to know anything about it, purely because she's never been told and she has not got the capacity to, or the drive or the desire to know anything about that yet. And one of the things we need to understand about our world and our society and our neighbor is that, that, to be honest with you, there's a lot of ignorance about Jesus, the Christ. There's a lot of ignorance about Christianity. There's a lot of ignorance about church. Is that something to point a crooked finger at and sneer at people about? No, they just haven't been told yet. You know, Fliss and myself, as many of you will know, we weren't raised as Christians. We came to this when we were in our 20s. And in business, and for the first few months, in fact, we were only talking about it on holiday, weren't we? For the first few months, we were absolutely marveled, you know, with this new Christian experience, this new experience of God and as Savior and Lord. We marveled that it was, it was like a secret. And we said to one why hasn't somebody said something about this? This is the most amazing thing. Why, why didn't, how come this is just, we didn't hear about this? We were ignorant of, of these things because we had, never, we had never heard about it. Nobody had taken the trouble to explain them. And for you and your families and your colleagues and your, your workmates, you know, don't, don't say they're no for them. Oh, Mick, he wouldn't be interested. Yeah, he's, all he wants to do is, is you know, play golf and you know, spend the nights down at the club. Don't say they're no for them. How dare, how dare I? Don't say they're no for them. Let them say a no. That's legitimate. But give them the opportunity. We need to pray for and be ready to share the secret. It's not meant to be a secret now. And so ignorance, which causes spiritual blindness, may simply be because nobody ever took the trouble to tell them. To invite them to an alpha. Or invite them along to a, a Bible-believing church. And there are many. This isn't the only one. So ignorance is definitely a primary cause of spiritual blindness, but we can do something about that, can't we, church? 
The second thing is arrogance, and of course I've already touched on that in speaking of the, the Pharisees. They, they thought they knew it all. And I have to admit, hands up, hands up, I have met Christians, and perhaps I have come across as one to some people, as someone who knew it all, and made people feel uh, foolish and, and belittled. One of the things we say at Essentials 101 and, and, and on the Alpha course when there's a lot of opportunity to ask questions is there's no such thing as a stupid question. Because often people say, well, it's probably a stupid question, and they, depending upon their, their courage levels, they'll ask it or not. There is no such thing as a stupid question. It's important to hear that, because otherwise we come across as superior. And the Pharisees were definitely superior, and it causes spiritual blindness because they think they've got this thing down. You know, I'm still on the journey. One of the things that the Lord spoke to me about when I was um, away on holiday, you know, again, a little, bit of a, a little bit of opportunity to step back from my daily life and reflect upon the way I do life and how I am with my family and with my colleagues and with my friends and wider connections. I realized something which will probably seem plain obvious to you or a no big deal, but it was a big deal for me. I realized that during the course of my life, and I've been a minister now for quite a long time, there have been brothers, colleagues, people who, have, who, have, uh, who I've judged harshly. And, and, and the particular area that was that I, I, can re, I can recall two or three occasions where people I have known have been appointed to you know, positions in the church, the wider church. And I find myself saying, what? You know, Fred has been appointed Bishop of Bath and Wells. I know him, he's an old duffer. What are they thinking of? I know that guy. You know, he can barely sharpen a pencil. What's the matter with them? You know, I've, I've reacted because I've looked at the natural skills mix and I've, and I've thought, this is ridiculous. What? And I've judged harshly. But in the kingdom of God, there is another, another quality which the world doesn't see. The other quality is this, a humble heart and the call of God. They go hand in hand. You see, the Lord God can make a donkey speak. Jesus himself said when he was, when he was traveling into Jerusalem and everybody was hailing him as, as the new Messiah and all the rest of it, a wonderful sort of parade into town, just beginning of what we call Holy Week. And everybody was celebrating and going wild and some of the Pharisees tell, said to him, tell your disciples to shut up, this is, un, this is inappropriate. And Jesus said to him in that moment, he said, you know, if they were to shut up, the stones would cry out. You see, God can make an old duffer like Fred actually a wonderful, pastoral, caring man of God. God calls us, and it's his call that actually is the thing that will hold us, will help us, and cause us to bear fruit if we don't give up. Yes, there's natural skills and abilities and things to be learned and things to be developed. We can work with the Spirit of God in that. But it's not like a human job interview. The call of God is something different. And I realized while I was away that I may have judged people harshly based upon their human and discernible gift mix. But in fact, leaving out perhaps the most important thing, the call of God. I mean, the scriptures are full of it. God takes, you know, a shepherd and calls him to be a prophet to Jerusalem, Amos. God takes 
a, a womanizing brawler and delivers Israel, Samuel. You know, the book is just full of this. God takes a teenage girl and causes her to be the mother of Jesus. The call of God is everything. And I I realized, and I knew it before, but somehow it's gone deeper during while I've been away that I may have been harsh as I view some of my friends nationally and things that they've done. It's arrogance. And then the last of these things that I want to just share with you is, the, is independence, and that's the curse, really, the curse of the modern age. You know, in two-thirds world country, you know, community is everything. You just can't get by and if, you, if, you, if you're not in community. That's how you do life. But in the West, in the, in the first world, you know, North America and Europe and, and this country, of course, you know, we, we've been trained, we, we take pleasure and pride in being independent and self-sufficient and all the rest of it. And there are good things about that, don't let me knock it. But unfortunately, what tends to happen is it breeds a kind of consumer-style Christianity where, where people will go to a church and... Uh, and they'll go for a while and they'll say, oh yeah, I really like the pastor there, but I really can't stand the worship, I'm gonna try something else. Or they go, there, they go to somebody else, oh, I love the worship there, I can't stand the pastor. Or they come away, oh my God, and it's kind of like a, you know, a smorgasbord. You take, if only I could have the pastor from there and the worship from there, and I actually hear people sometimes say to me, yes, I go to the cathedral for the mass and then I go to this for the other, and uh, you know, it, it, it's so fragmented and it's so, independent and inward-looking. But the trouble is with, with this kind of independent thinking is that you become the judge, the jury, and the executioner. And you never submit to something. You never surrender or humble yourself, perhaps with, in the face of some difficult challenges. So what's to be done about this? What is the solution then? Rounding up, bringing things into land, as they say. How can we be healed like this blind man? How can this spiritual blindness be averted? Well, three quick pairs, which I hope you'll be able to remember. First of all, word and works. Word and works. We need to be students of God's word. You know, if if you've not got a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. We'll give you it free. Just ask at the welcome desk and we'll give you one. If you've got a Bible and you're not reading it, well, get a a Bible reading plan. You can get them online. Just sort of type in Google Bible reading plan. There'll be any number to sort of choose from there. You can exercise some independent choice there if you like. But, you know, I would recommend that you get, say, one of Tom Wright's commentaries. I think we have them still on the bookstall. Tom Wright on on Mark's gospel. And do a bit of in-depth type study and... And, and begin to get into it. We have to become students of God's word, but it is not enough to know your Bible. That's why it's word and works. You see, it's as we read God's word and then try and apply it and serve in the community of Christ and in, in the wider world too, as we bring that to apply, that we begin to have questions to ask of God's word. You know, when Phyllis and I first went, offered ourselves pursuing what we thought might be a call to church plant, We met with John Wimber, many of you know this story, and he said to me, he said, you are called to church planting, but you don't know the first question to ask. You're ignorant, and I was slightly offended, but that was the truth. But six months into church planting, when we were actually doing it, 
Suddenly, I had a list as long as your arm of questions I wanted to ask John Wimber. And he was very gracious with his time, John Wimber being the founder of the Vineyard Movement, and there's 2,000 churches worldwide now. Every time he flew into London, uh, ourselves and the Williams, pastors of the Riverside Vineyard in Twickenham, we used to meet with John in a hotel, have sort of cream teas, and then we would fire all these questions at him. You see, it wasn't enough to know the word. You have to be doing Christianity. You have to be trying to work out your faith in the real world, whatever that means, before you actually begin to learn and get it under the skin. So that will humble you and challenge you, but it'll also help you get in line with God's, God's learning plan, his healing plan. Secondly, we move through faith and independence. We shall be healed through faith and independence. You know, many a time I've had people say to me, well, I'll see it when I believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. But actually, faith requires that you believe it first, and then you start to see it. Sounds odd, doesn't it? That question hangs in the air in front of all of us. Who do you say I am? It's a 21st century question. Who do you, not Peter, not the other disciple, who do you say Jesus is? And can you dismiss him with the word or are you beginning to get drawn into that revelation? Are you beginning to see that he is the savior of the world, the king of kings? And that requires a step of faith from you. And as you step forward in faith, Inevitably, you find yourself repenting of your sins because as you step into the presence of the Holy God, suddenly you feel unclean. It's like being invited to a party or inviting around to your friend's house thinking it was just you and he having a beer in the garage looking at his new car when in fact what you didn't realize was it was a barbecue celebrating his daughter's 21st birthday and you're there in your overalls with a sort of, you know, expecting one thing and suddenly, you know, everybody's dressed up and the message got scrambled and you're feeling embarrassed because... Oh, I'm completely wrong. Oh, dear, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. When you come into the presence of a holy God, suddenly you feel like you're wearing the wrong things, and that's called sin. And that's, you then find yourself asking God to forgive you and cleanse you and brush you up and deal with your life. How shall we be healed? Through faith and repentance. And finally, how shall we be healed? In Christ and community. You know, it's not enough to have taken that step of faith and, and, faith and, and repented from your sins and asked God to include you in his family and then leave it there. It's a call to community, and we spent much of the earlier part of this year in the Mosaic series talking about this. You cannot do faith alone. You cannot do it. You cannot say, uh, I, I believe, I read my Bible, I believe in Christ, but I don't do church. If you're in that place, you haven't got it. You honestly haven't got it. Because God is, is, is the one who brings together the, the fall, sin fragments and separates. God, through his love and his death upon the cross, unites and brings together, and we are called to one another. That's why we talk and teach about community. That's why you can only be a Christian if you are connected with a church family, a local church family somewhere or other. Not, if you don't like this one, fine. There's plenty of others around. But you've got to connect and commit. Because again, in that place, you'll be called to love people you don't like very much. You will find people that you absolutely adore and think, oh gosh, you know, 
if only my mother would be like them. You know, there'll be good things and bad things. But it's in Christ and community. And as we do this, as we work through word and works, faith and repentance, Christ and community, so we will find ourselves on a journey with many breakthroughs, many wonderful vistas and sights, sounds, many experiences to share, but ever called onward until that point, just as it was at the end of Mark's gospel, where they caught up with Jesus in Galilee and finally saw him as he truly is. Let's all stand and pray. And Joe, if you wouldn't mind coming up and helping us finish off. Let me just pray. As the band's coming up, you know, my, my, you know, I, my prayer is that, for myself, is that um, God will revive me and open my eyes to new things. I get scared when I start thinking I know it all. And so my prayer is that us as a community will humble ourselves before God and individually and corporately just keep coming before him saying, Lord, we, we, we thank you for all that we are and all that we have learned. And we mustn't diss that because truly, you know, we've all shed tears together and grown together and laughed together. But there is more, and I'm looking forward to experiencing that together. So my prayer is that. But it may be, it may just be that amongst us this morning, there are one or two people, maybe more, I don't know, for whom that question, who do you say Jesus is, is not one that is resolved yet, not one that you've concluded and come to a decision that you're prepared to live with, that you know Jesus... You're the savior of the world and I need to be saved. You may not have got to that point yet. Can I prod you and ask you to consider today, at the end when a lot of other people go to my right, your left, going forward and taking a step of faith and, and asking Jesus to forgive your sins and saying, God, I, boy, I really don't know it all. I know I don't know it all, but Lord, will you forgive me and will you include me in, in your, your kingdom, your family? So what I'm really saying is that if you're in that place of, of not quite having decided yet whether this is for you, I, I would want to just say, come on. Life is about risk and faith. Take a risk. You'll be amazed at what God will re reveal to you very exciting. So please consider that, reflect upon that. Let's pray. Lord, I want to say thank you to you. Thank you that you, you don't leave us as we are. Uh, and as disciples, that means that we're lifelong learners. And you take us just as we are, and then you call us to follow you. And so we pray, Lord God, that uh, as we reflect upon your presence with us and these words that have been shared, that, Lord God, that which you want to apply to us will we'll do so. And that, Lord God, we will indeed seek you for who you are and seek to grow in Christ. And everyone said, Amen.